0: Hello, friends. Welcome to a bit of a departure, but one that some really like. It's my second episode on the dinner table conversation, where I invite friends over to have an honest conversation about what's happening in the news. Today, we talk about the changing role of education and what that will mean for students moving forward. Welcome to Open Minds. It's the podcast that attempts to explore with genuine curiosity the world's most intriguing issues. Some topics include climate change, gun control, basic income, and so much more. I invite guests on who are both proponents and detractors of these issues so that we can be exposed to more nuanced perspectives we may not be hearing. You can find me at openmindspodcast.com or anywhere you stream music. I'm your host, Christopher Balkrin, and welcome to open minds. You know, it's such an interesting time to be a student today. I remember back in high school being so confused with math problems, algebra, calculus. I just didn't fully get it, and I was too scared to talk to my teacher about it. Everyone around me was, like, really good, and I just couldn't keep up. And I had to do night school and summer school just to get my grades back up to a decent level. But I always think back, you know, what if I pursued a tutor outside or what if I talked to my teachers more? But today, I could just go on YouTube and Google an algebraic equation and have someone break down the formula and how they got to the answer. You know, maybe I could even ask ChatGPT to explain some things. So it's a very different time today to be a student. Basically, anything your teacher says can be Googled, and you can find a perhaps more thorough explanation if you are in fact confused. So, what then is the role of schools? What's the role of teachers in this ever changing environment? If your ability to learn can be supplemented online, Does that diminish the role of teachers? Well, in fact, there's new research coming out showing that teachers should, in fact, change their roles a little bit and build more empathy with students, build that into the curricula so that they can actually become more empathetic or socially aware students understanding things like uh, gender dysphoria pride, LGBTQ issues, uh, issues affecting uh, the Black, Indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC, that's a typical acronym that's thrown around, Um, making students more socially aware. So the role of the teacher no longer is this arbiter of knowledge, but in in fact, is someone who's helping you socialize into our ever-changing society. And I wanted to know what people thought about that. So I hope you enjoy this episode of The Dinner Table. It starts off talking about the impact of male and female dynamics, but it then dovetails quite well into the uh, changing role of teachers. As always, find me at www.openmindspodcast.com, on Instagram, on Twitter. Check me out on Instagram at openmindspod and on TikTok at Podcast. I really hope you enjoy this, and I'll catch you in the next one.
1: Objectively, is it not a man's world? Honestly, like we don't, no one wants to admit this know. to themselves. And I'm yeah. not saying it's a good thing, but objectively speaking, if aliens came to planet Earth, they would go, Who built and decided everything? It would be men. It's been like 30 years that women have had any kind of agency in their lives. And you can't stop 50,000 years of inertia in 30 years. So right now, it is a man's world. Things are changing. But like, let's be objective here. Yeah, but it's at the same who time. Who built this condo? I'm not trying to sound. Who invented this? I'm not trying to sound. Who invented the a, light bulb?
2: I'm not trying to sound like a mo- a modern man. But I mean, it wouldn't have same. happened without the <laughs> without the without the support of the women. You know.
3: I, I agree with you guys. I think it's a man's world. I absolutely we we know. There's it. nothing wrong it's, with that. Th- there isn't. There isn't. Eventually, it'll be a woman's world. But we'll let mm, you have it for now. Sure I think. For, for the next, it's a man's
2: world is just playing to the feminists' choir. Choir. Preaching to the feminist choir? Yeah, really. How like, so? You're just, because it's not a man's world. It's not. Really? You think that? No. Yeah. Maybe it was at one point. It's not in Toronto. Don't in let Manisha
1: control you. I know. I feel <laughs> controlled. I feel the heat.
0: <laughs>
1: let me ask you this question. If all of the men disappeared... Let's just take reproduction out because many women, women men. So we're equal on that. If all of the men disappeared right now from the world how what proportion of women would just die it would be way higher than if all the women disappeared from the world it would be way higher way less men would die if all women just disappeared that's that's the answer right there
0: okay but i did read a a stat that said that i want to get this right the majority of our ancestors are female well, the majority, there's like 51% women, 49% men. Yeah, but like I think there's some crazy stat like 80% of men came from a woman. I mean, I mean of men all came from women. from women. No, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. like our ancestors are more women than men. I don't e- Well, that's that. just. Men are doing pretty good that as a minority makes, if that's the case. But it makes sense, right? Because more men die in really hard labor and in war and everything oh. else, right? So we actually need women. I mean, obviously we need women to procreate, but our civilizations would not continue. Without, Because you just need
1: one man and seven wives.
0: And the man's dead.
1: Oh, yes, I see that. How about this? You're going to go colonize Mars. Yeah. You got a team of 25 people. Again, take reproduction out. Sure. Do you want 25 men or 25 women? And I only have those two choices. Yes, it's all men or all women. And you. And I'm colonizing Mars. Well, yeah, you're going to set up a society. Like build shit. Is this a diverse group of people?
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're just unco- unco- listen.
1: Uh, my opinion, my last men. word on this, it's an uncomfortable truth. I'm not, I don't take pleasure in it. It just is what it is. The sky yeah. is blue. It's a man's world. Okay. And it's changing. It's not. I think I'm a- taking one man, 24 women. And that would be sweet for the dude. Yeah. But like, what, what, it, like,
2: what, you're, you, who you are you going to, like, you don't would, have any natural predators. You don't have any, uh, you don't really, you're, you're going to Mars. You already have the technology backing to do whatever, you know, extra strength work that, uh, that a woman can't do, is incapable of doing. So why would you? You only need one, or you know, you only need one. You arguably you don't even need any
0: men,
1: really.
3: Just yeah. ChatGPT, ChatGPT, and, and, and twenty couple
2: of robots. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah a couple robots. A fair statement. I wanted to talk to you both, all of you, about this really interesting. Zoe, thank you for letting me know to make notes. I was making my notes today. I was like, Zoe's going to be proud. Um, This was fascinating. Schooling has changed completely. It's no longer about memorizing facts because a kid with an iPhone is going to just crush whatever fact he throw at them, right? Like, I think back to school and I just think how many times I could have called my teacher out on whatever they were saying or just correct them and then feel like the sense of like, I got one up on my teacher, right? So schooling is no longer about memorizing facts but now we're switching to students learning more empathy for each other and this dovetails into learning about race and gender more and that becomes the focus of school. Do you agree with this shift in schooling from memorizing facts to being more empathetic and having a higher level of empathic concern for each other
1: rote learning rote, rote learning. learning rote that's just memorizing stuff that's what they do in china that's what they do in the middle east mm-hmm. or that's what they do in hebrew school you learn the 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 torah you don't learn critical thinking right you don't learn communication you don't learn math even right although let's say in china you you, le- you definitely learn <laughs> math you learn all you have to memorize all the to- the times tables so I think that rote learning is a terrible, terrible way to educate. And the proof is in the pudding. The mm-hmm. countries that do rote learning, they're really good. So you have Chinese students who are really good at math exams. They're the dominant at math exams. But you put them in an office, they have no creative ability. Like, stereotypically speaking, True. they have no creative ability. Or they can't think on their own. Skills. They can't communicate, et cetera. It's the same with, like, kids who are brought up in, like, religious, you know, they just read the Bible or whatever. So rote learning is terrible is a terrible way to educate by west let's obviously by western standards it suppresses creativity Mm -hmm. and it it does like muscle reflex type Mm -hmm. of thing now the other point you made about bringing in empathy and stuff i don't i'm not sure i have an opinion on i mean teaching empathy you should be i don't know if you can teach empathy but definitely rote learning is bad
3: I, I'm actually going to agree with him uh, on this. I, yeah, I, I, the empathy part, I don't know if he can really teach empathy. I think you can, sure, you can teach each other to be kinder, but I think teaching facts is still something that's still necessary in the schools though. Like I know r- rote learning is terrible and, and proof is in the pudding, but you can't just take facts out of the education either. You maybe not having them be so strict that they have to memorize it and then, you know, do crazy exams like they do in China and stuff like that. But you still can't take facts out of the education system. Mm-hmm. Uh, people need to know the truth and, and history of how it exactly happened mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes emotions can cloud your judgment as well. And But when you have facts and education in front of you, you tend to make more conscious decisions or, or better decisions, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would say, yeah, can you really teach empathy? Maybe you could teach each other to be nicer to each other in a way. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't really take, take – uh, Fact learning out of the education system.
2: I mean, if we're saying rote, rote, rote learning, if it's so bad, why are Western countries, companies based in Western countries, hiring, you know, Indian or Chinese or Asian trained and educated CEOs to lead their companies? Every single, every single IT company based out of Silicon Valley has someone that's been educated in Asia.
1: It's because. There are specific circumstances, particularly when it comes to, like, programming and mechanical thinking, that it is helpful to have a bunch of people who don't need to use a calculator. They can be, like, 2,000 times whatever is whatever, like, off the top of their head. But when you look at the countries that produce the most dynamic countries, they are Western countries who take a dynamic person, maybe who's from India or China... Who is just a great creative person and a good leader? Because not everyone coming out of China or or India or whatever is just a mechanical rote learning robot, but it's where this is created. If you look at Chinese companies, are they sucking in Western talent or is it Western companies sucking in Chinese talent? And I think that's the answer to that question right there. Like, you want to have a bunch of super smart, intelligent, like physics whizzes. In your cubicles, in your in your factory or, or your company.
0: But who are the leaders? Do you think though that's an unfair comparison because China does not have an open immigration policy the way the US and Canada do? They can bring in workers. They when can. they need to. Sure. But they they won't they won't bring in like an MBA grad from U of T in to head up there. Foxconn
2: operation yeah. and, and their to- their culture right now isn't set up to bring in immigrants the way that um right Western societies do yeah the other thing though with uh, with you know in speaking with uh, empathy and teaching empathy in schools and you know those sort of things you know traditionally that's stuff that that you'd expect to be taught at at home hmm. why are we the question is why are we why are we looking to uh, bring that out of the home and start teaching it in schools what's the parents' role in teaching
0: basic characteristics. Could it be that despite laws like the civil rights act, um, that racism and prejudice still persist and perhaps there was a, there's a role for the school to play in addition to parents. So perhaps, you know, new immigrants may not understand race relations between black and whites in the United States, the way black and white people understand race relations. And so if you're a first-generation immigrant from Guyana or India, you're not going to understand that dichotomy or that dynamic. Is school the place to learn that? Because you're not going to necessarily learn that from your parents. I think there's a line
2: um, where the state, the school, (laughs) you know, teaches.
0: uh,
2: I don't know how to put it, but I don't know where I'm comfortable with personally on what the state teaches a child versus what, expectation of a parents are to hmm. teach, to teach a
1: child. Um, yeah. How deep does the state go in, in, uh, ed, let's say education. Wh- when is it stopping education, like learning about social studies and English literature, and then become about indoctrination and behaving in a certain socially acceptable way who determines what that socially acceptable way is. It gets really, really murky. If you're talking about math, not controversial, right? english you know grammar sentence structure not controversial you're talking about empathy for who you know and why does certain why does the state as you put it josh need to tell kids who they need to be empathetic for or not Mm. shouldn't you just be empathetic like if you instill good values, family values, this sounds. This <laughs> it's like, what am I saying here? <laughs> but it,
0: yeah, it but, can get, it can go too far. It can. So the question I think would be, with ChatGPT, Notion, AI, etc., it's answering all of the questions that we want it to in terms of math and science. If you really want to understand, it, like chemical equations and how to balance a, a chemical f- chemistry formula, geez, I can't even remember that. You could That's so easily accessible. You don't need to go to school for that. You can learn that on your own. You can watch a YouTube video and just get your whole learning there. So then what is the role of schools given this new technology? And a lot of teachers in the States are saying the role is to push this empathic concern for children because we live in a socialized social environment and there still is prejudice, racism, gender disc- discrimination towards um, uh, people of uh, different genders. That's happening. And does the state have a role to play there? Um, And if not, if it's not empathic concern for each other, knowing that most facts you can find online on your phone, what is the role of our schools? Like, this is a really fascinating question, isn't it? Like, I think about this all the time because now I'm thinking, everything that I learned in elementary, I can just Google and find out. And all I need is someone to tell me, here's the curriculum, go study this. Like, that's all, all you have to do. You don't even have to study it. Yeah, but you wouldn't know what to Google to look up if it wasn't for school. You wouldn't Correct.
1: You wouldn't know about chemistry. Yeah, like, fair, fair. Inherently, you don't know about chemistry. Someone has to tell you about that. And yeah. then, yeah, okay, and then you can look up chemistry. Yeah. I mean, to Chris's point, though, you could just set up some sort
2: of robotic teacher that teaches for grade, grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, and all the way. To- yeah. I feel like you're arguably saying that teachers might become glorified babysitters, you know?
0: or the roles just changing, right? So it's not what we consider education like vastly different. And what does that mean? So if there is a push for a critical race theory, racism, race and gender to be in our school systems, if it's not that and we recognize that most everything that we learn can be easily chatgpted, <laughs> that's like now a verb. <laughs> what is school? Like why would you send your child to school for what purpose? I
2: don't think it's to take out the role of parenting. If that's what we're trying to get at.
3: But I think that there, it is to socialize, like school is where you socialize and integrate and uh, get to meet different diverse groups and, and learn about them and all that. So I think to, to an extent, yes, you're right. There should be some, um, maybe not taking it off the parents' hands completely, but still. Uh, teaching them at school so that the kids have somewhere to at least learn empathy, right? You're right. If an immigrant family comes here, mm-hmm. um, they don't really know much about racism. To them, it's normal because back home, maybe they're racist towards a certain race and everybody's racist. So it's, it's right. not uncommon for them, right? Yeah. But then they come to Canada and they're taught, no, this is actually wrong. And it's wrong yeah. for X, Y's reasons. It teaches the kids something so that they don't follow their parents' footsteps and continue those beliefs. Um mm-hmm. So that's that's where the school should play a role. Uh you can't just put it entirely on the parents because the parents aren't necessarily always educated either.
1: I think as well there's a role <clears throat> when we're talking about immigrants, there's a role for the education system to bring the kids up to speed on like what's going on here and what's acceptable here and what's not here, uh based on basic Canadian values. Right? Like that I think everyone can agree on, like rule of law, mm-hmm. you know don't be racist, mm-hmm. English and French, et cetera. Um, there's a minimum education that is needed to maybe culturally change somebody, mm-hmm. especially for refugees who don't really have a choice. They're just kind of plucked out of a camp and they don't even want necessarily want to come to Canada, but they kind of have to. Um, whereas most immigrants who would say pick Canada... Are are obviously going to be aligned somewhat with Canadian values. That's why they picked Canada in the first place, right? But yeah, and if you're coming to
2: Canada as an immigrant, um, you're already studying about it. You're already learning about Canada. You obviously have to, you know, provide perform your uh, English and or French tests, your written skills, your speaking skills. Um, You have to have some sort of uh, degree. Um, So you're already someone who's who's in that class of people that. Might already know what to expect when you get here, um, so you might not. Your your kids your 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 kids that are also coming with you might not need that level of education on how to act in Canadian society mm-hmm. compared to a refugee, for example. Yeah.
3: So I actually I don't know how much truth there is to this, but I had a friend who told me he knows somebody who works in immigration and whatnot, and he was informed that they are trying to immigrate the less educated people now into Canada again I don't know how much truth there is behind this he's you know this is he's told by somebody that works in that in the immigration with the government so um but but if that is the case then we do need that education in the school system if what he's saying is to be true
2: is there a reason for that like is there a reason why they're trying to bring in less educated people well I have a theory I have a theory, I have a
3: theory as well I, I assume you know the the we, we see so many of the uh, the blue collar jobs that are not being filled anymore because vast majority of Canadians are educated even first class uh, uh, first generation immigrants wherever the case may be yep. um, so we need somebody to fill in those those blue collar jobs so obviously mm-hmm. the less educated you bring those are the guys that are going to go into those roles mm-hmm. and you'll plug them in there
1: They also have more kids so the highly yes. educated mm-hmm. who are coming in age 30 to 35 with a master's degree and a job offer and they have 15 years experience already. Mm-hmm not necessarily going to have kids. Mm -hmm. And um, it's almost like a a treadmill. Like you bring these people in, they contribute and all that, but they're not having another kid. They're not having any offspring, so you need to keep bringing more in. Typically, and I don't think this is controversial to say, but lower education rate, higher birth rate, Mm -hmm. boom. And then layer the blue collar thing on top of it. It makes total sense to me, and honestly, I would support that because – we're educated enough in Canada. We're mm-hmm. the most highly educated country in the entire world, actually, mm. of its what size. Is, yeah. Wow. Yeah, in 100%. terms of the percentage of the population that has a, a, at least an undergraduate degree. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. We're good on education now yeah. at this point. And every single immigrant, I worked in immigra- immigration, in economic immigration for seven years in the government. Mm-hmm. And every single person has like insanely qualified. They have to have money in the bank, yeah, more exactly. than the average Canadian. You're bringing in people who, from a Objective, like perspective, are better than the average Canadian, correct? Right, and the richer you get, the less kids you have, Mm -hmm. and we're facing a demographic um, cliff. And I say, bring the more the better. Refugees, whoever. I agree, hundred percent. And I also think, like
2: the the economies of the places where these people are coming from, they're getting more and more competitive. You know, Mm -hmm. India, China, uh, all which are basically most of the immigrant. Base for for Canada, like yeah. their economies are getting to the point where people who are highly educated um, want to stay there. They don't want to leave, and the the number of people that want
0: to leave are getting fewer and fewer at that level. Do you think though that on your point, Andrew, um, about bringing as many in, that our racial mix is going to be so much more different? I mean, I look at Toronto today versus what it was fifteen years ago. It's it's night and day. 15 years from now, it'll be very different. The the makeup of our population will be very different. And do you think race and gender will play a bigger role in our school systems because our society is getting more and more complex, and we can't rely on parents, as we discussed, to be ahead of the curve about understanding race relations?
1: Uh, You know what? My opinion as a non-immigrant the only person here who has no connection to immigration. <laughs>
0: That's interesting.
1: <laughs> to be honest, like, I'm not worried about it because you get you go into the meat grinder. So you bring in someone from, like, a very strict country with a lot of cultural whatever. Mm-hmm. You bring them into Canada. First of all, yeah, I think it's a boogeyman to say that, like, people are coming in and trying to force their culture on Canada. Right. It's a boogeyman. It doesn't happen. There's too many people here. To, for that to, for you to make a dent in that. So, that's to me I'm not threatened by that. As a native Canadian, I'm not threatened <laughs> at all by immigrants and immigration because I've seen it happen. You go into the meat grinder, the first generation holds on to their cultural things that maybe are a little bit awkward for the average <laughs> Canadian and guaranteed the second generation is like they drop by half. Mm-hmm. By the third generation, these kids are playing hockey, going to six cups. <laughs> getting their timmy hoes like every single time so even with refugees it's like it does not matter you hmm. and you know where this comes from you put the kids in school they meet canadian kids they're listening to rap music playing basketball hockey whatever mm-hmm. that's where the d indoctrination comes from when you go to school and you grow up around people hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong, guys. I, I think
2: there's one caveat. So, if you look at how many immigrants Canada is bringing, we're bringing five hundred thousand uh, immigrants. Well,
1: this year, next year, we're, year we're, per year, per we'll
2: year, something like that, that. Yeah.
1: Okay, Plus but it's three to five, three to five hundred thousand, but a lot, a lot, a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, for a country that
2: has just under forty million people, like thirty-nine million something, the U.S. is bringing one point two million immigrants in a year for a population that has. You know, between three and four hundred million people, depending on how many illegal immigrants live there. It's
0: actually not that much, eh? No, the it's US. not that yeah. much. Far lower. Far so, lower, yeah.
2: from a from a point of you know forcing your culture into Canada or changing it, I, I I actually think immigrants here definitely could. You know, we have we have minorities of immigrants that live in Canada. That don't represent those same minor the, those same statistics in the countries that they come from. Right. Look at Punjabi people, for Goans. example. Goans. Goans. Goans, yep. Right. We we don't we don't make up the same base in India like that we make up as a percentage of a population in Canada, for example.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and that's basically true right across the
1: board. Like pretty well every single culture that comes here, it's the same thing. Can I just say something about Goans? Mm-hmm. What's their cultural baggage? You wouldn't know that they're any different. From the average Canadian. So what's the problem there?
3: And here's on the Sikhs actually, it reminds me. So Sikhs aren't necessarily obligated to wear helmets. They can keep their turban and ride bikes, uh, motorcycles. So that's in itself, right? There was something that's health and safety related that was able to get influenced by an immigrant group. And health and safety went out the door and it was like, we have to respect the religious uh, beliefs and all that. So there is an influence. There's very much an influence if there's enough uh, manpower or people that back up the change
1: counterpoint Sikhs are the most well-integrated immigrant group in the history of Canada they're represented prominently in every single major political party NDP liberals conservatives they're not a single interest group they have literally integrated better in Canadian society than any other group and really when you look at the political parties there Sikh people who are made in major positions of power in every single party so they are the perfect immigrant story, if you ask me. They are, the like, the best because they don't, the, like, the thing of a, like a, like a, like a, a, a hick Canadian, skeets, as we would say in Newfoundland, <laughs> people who live in the country, the racist people, the stereotype, they're like, they're going to come here and change everything. That's, that's what hmm. people are afraid of. Right. They're like, immigrants are going to come and change the culture that I've been comfortable with my whole life. That's where the fear comes from. See, people are, like, arguing with each other. There's conservative pe- Sikhs who are like, yeah, I'm anti-abortion too. So I don't I don't necessarily, like, okay, we, they, can not- they don't have to wear but a helmet. But to that
3: point that they are in the government and they represent majority in the government, that in itself is they have the ability to influence. Yeah. That right there tells us that because they're represented so much, they have the ability yeah, to influence. Yeah,
1: no but no more than anyone else because they're not all, like, there's certain... Maybe there's certain groups who are, like, all liberal. And, like, okay, then that's, like, that's a threat because, like, they're... Um coalescing over certain issues and they're going to use their minority numbers. They're going to concentrate it and make a big difference. Sikhs are like literally all over the place. So there's no threat because if you're a white person, you can find a Sikh that agrees with you on everything.
3: That's that's not the concern. Yeah, it's about think, changing yeah. certain cultural aspects. The, the, again, the being able to wear the turban, I'm not sure if they're allowed, but I think they're allowed to even carry the, the knife Curpan? thing that they Curpan, carry on yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, these, there's two major safety <laughs> Um, concerns that everybody has to follow but then we make an exception for the Sikhs Correct. right and it's a safety concern it's it, it impacts everybody on a larger scale mm-hmm. I actually read an article that somebody in the US I can't remember where it was but this man who was um, asking this guy not to vape, or, uh, vape around his toddler got stabbed by the mm-hmm. Sikh man Whoa. right again he was just carrying this knife on him because he was allowed to for religious reasons and that impacted someone else's life wow. he's dead now usually
1: they're supposed to so, be dull dull blades though like
3: right but but who's checking every single person's blade cops are pulling over saying let me but then again that's going to be discrimination against the Sikhs now because the cops are saying let me look at your blade I mean but so they do have the ability to influence that they have already influenced two major safety concerns and and bypass that so they they and, and that's because I think there's a lot of Sikhs being represented in in the parliament right in the government position oh, so that's interesting that that's probably why right
0: so that's a good point I think actually all of us are probably agreeing I think that what perhaps Zoe, Josh, and myself are saying is that the racial mix is happening so rapidly that it's it's changing entire demographics of areas. It's not white against minority. Like Brampton is made up of various minorities and whites are not, whites I would assume are a minority in Brampton.
1: White guy's a mayor of Brampton. Yeah, Patrick Brown. Uh, but in, his name is Patrick Brown. It's not yeah. like honest, whatever, <laughs> like Lorenzo. It's Patrick Brown.
0: Like, Right. But even in Markham, you know, the Tamil community is large in Markham. It's huge. And so I just think, again, going back to the issue of race and gender in our schools, I think the racial mix of our communities is becoming so diverse that, in a way, it's like the schools have to talk about it because you can't avoid it. It is a reality, to Zoe's point. It's a socialization piece. And we do have to understand, I mean, I would not be able to craft public policy without understanding the unique needs of the Sikh community as an exa- as one of many examples
3: I think the other reason they need to teach race in schools as well is because, you know, like you said, there's in, there's minorities in Brampton, which majority, which probably we could say are Indians. And then there is the Tamils in Markham. Yeah. Then there is the uh, probably predominantly Asians, Asians yeah. or Persians in Richmond Hill. Yeah. They all segregate to it. They all make their own little communities within. They come mm-hmm. to Canada, but they're all segregated as well. So you have to teach them how to be able to work with each other as well. And, and you know, it's not just a white Versus minority yeah. concept anymore. Correct. It's minority versus minority as well. Yes. That has to be taught.
1: This is a very, very, very Toronto centric conversation. It is. It is. Have yes. you been outside of Toronto? <laughs> yeah, it's not. not
2: many Sikhs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like, back to the point of even having Amanda and Bob in a, in a math question. And yeah, so change, let's go back to Changing that, that to Manisha and, and uh, <laughs> Zoe. Zoe, Zoe. So Hall. Uh, so Zoe Hall. Uh, I don't know if we'd want to have. Like, what are your thoughts on having that in if Northern you're, Ontario, for example? If you're exactly, Does that makes sense. That's a good point. Can I say so? that lives there? Yeah. So, I'm a from
1: point. a peripheral, of re- the most peripheral region of Canada, Newfoundland. Yeah. It's closer to Ireland than Toronto. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, wow. and it's the least diverse province in the country. I'm not saying I would care, but I can see how people in Newfoundland, which We're is 98% caring. white people, they owe a kid in Newfoundland who especially out around the bay who has no minority friends Mm -hmm. they open a book and they're learning about Sikh history and they're like all the names are Manisha and Zohal (laughs) and they're like I don't relate to this whatsoever (laughs) and that listen that sounds bad but that's understandable that that is understandable 100 percent right and you never met and someone from a minority your whole life and you're like why am I being forced to read what about my own history and stuff like that so that's something that can happen too. So we have to be careful that like Toronto doesn't drive public National policy. Politics. And honestly, when you live in Toronto, I've lived in both. And you know what it's like up up, up north. Yep. It's like it is a completely different world. Mm-hmm. So this is, I'm finding, I'm just realizing this is the most Toronto-centric thing because Toronto is unbelievably more diverse. Toronto makes Canada diverse. Mm-hmm. If you take Toronto out of Canada, we might as
0: well be Sweden. hmm in Vancouver, okay, question for you. You mentioned that that person, that kid in Newfoundland doesn't see themselves in a Sikh history textbook as an example. If you flip that, like brown kids have been learning about white people and Canadian history, and they never see themselves. And we do force that. But Canadian history is Canadian, white history. 100%. It,
2: it, it is. And it's and only, we discount that. It's it only is. been you know non-brown
0: but, for like 30 years. Okay, but that. the point, though, is that there are... Parts of our history that we don't choose to put in our history textbooks for a very long time. Sure. That included the subjugation of Indian. And I'm just taking the opinion that, like, to your point about it's true, like, white, a white student not seeing themselves in Sikh, isn't that the exact same argument that? Um, the left, quote-unquote, left or critical race theorists are saying, they're saying, we don't see our kids like black students don't see themselves in our history books. So we need to include that, even if the population is 99% There's, white. A, there's a big difference between
1: black people in the U.S. and immigrants in Canada. Sure. Brought to the U.S. against their will, slavery, all of that. Completely different than immigration in Canada, where for the most part... It's voluntary yeah so you come, come here. Yeah. It's different than black people who were forced sure that's a problem and I get that okay because they didn't have a choice. In Canada, predominantly it's immigrants who voluntarily yeah really really want to come here. So there is an expectation that you gotta you know if I moved if I moved to Japan I would bow to people like I would do whatever they asked me to do. My parents lived in Saudi Arabia for two years yeah Saudi Arabia yeah my mom they taught English there. My mom 100% was all in on wearing the abaya, everything. Not going out without my dad escorted. didn't complain. She's like, this is what I should expect.
0: Right. right. When in Rome.
1: When yeah. in Rome. And so now she didn't immigrate. She worked there. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that we sh- you shouldn't change because at the end of the day, there's more non-white, like more and more non-white people every day. Mm-hmm. And... It- the the society should reflect its people. You can't just pretend like South Africa with apartheid. It was a white country and 90% of the people were black and mm-hmm. they just ignored all their stuff. So yeah. I'm not saying that yeah. there is to a certain extent you have to like Josh said, like the majority of Canadian history up until like this, they only let non-white immigrants in, in like the late sixties. Yeah. So you have all this inertia. So, Yeah, I think the kid in Newfoundland who's like, what's going on here? That's like Manisha and Zohal everywhere. They can feel alienated. And I think that that is a completely reasonable reaction.
3: I I agree. I think it comes down to demographics. I think depending on like Toronto should Mm -hmm. integrate that and have Manisha and Zohal in their textbooks. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it'll help us identify and, and, and feel a connection. And if Newfoundland's predominantly white people, then yeah, let's, like you said, like service to the society that's around there, right? Uh, don't change the names there because it wouldn't make mm. sense. It wouldn't do anything. It wouldn't make a difference. If anything, it might do the complete opposite of that. So you have alienate to Alienate them. Alienate them. So you have to definitely look at the demographics and, and, and make the right decisions according to that.
1: Like customize this stuff.
3: Yes, customize the education.
1: But now, at the same time, you don't want a kid in Newfoundland- not learning to about not learn about like, you know, we are countrymen, right? And you're citi- you're also a citizen with someone in Toronto. Sure. But what's there's that just what, line? that's that that's the
0: thing. What what's right. the balance there, right? I think that's the the big challenge with um, you know, people taking down statues and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that indigenous people have been quote unquote erased from our history textbooks and mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of the discussion. So I think, Andrew, you've raised an interesting point about that Newfoundland can feeling left out. It's the exact same argument that a lot of critical race theorists say about the others, and they say, listen, like you're right, Like the black and white community in the United States, very different relationship. But some are now saying that for our communities in Toronto, and it's like, why is a kid in Markham not learning about? Sorry, go ahead.
3: The other thing I'll say about Newfoundland, we'll all do respect. Uh, p- p- <laughs> there, there's not a lot of immigrants there, right? right? right. And, and sure, you can make the thing that it's cold as well, blah, so people immigrate no to, jobs, to Toronto and Vancouver. Yeah, sure, yeah, that could very much be the reasoning as well. But, you know, they do have one of the best universities where a lot of immigrants come to learn. So yeah. engineers and stuff, the oil industry, all that. There is jobs that they can go into, but they mm-hmm. don't feel included to be a part of that province, right? right. They, they don't. They, they-, they don't stay
1: because there's no jobs. That's why. If these people stayed, if the people... So again, I worked in immigration there for seven years. What I saw was people will come to Newfoundland and get their PR f- because it's easier, because we are easier to accept people because we are desperate for people. And the moment you get PR, honestly, we used to have uh, not provincial nominees. The day they get their PR, they're on a plane to Toronto. So yeah. it's but, not they—they're not staying, and I don't blame them. I wouldn't stay in Newfoundland either. Right? I, I, I don't. I, I'm, I didn't stay, I'm from Newfoundland, <laughs> and I don't. I didn't even stay there. I get it.
3: But that—but that also could be again. There's no connection. There's no. There's nothing that would make me want to stay in Newfoundland. Like A when job I went with will you, will
1: make anyone stay anywhere. But there
3: is I, jobs. There's clearly jobs because people are working there.
1: Making—they're not good jobs. They're not good jobs. They're not well paid jobs. They're not jobs good jobs. And I would go to Newfoundland if you paid me. My about, parents went to Saudi, Saudi Arabia. To... They were making bank. They yeah. went to Saudi Arabia not because they love Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but I think to I think just to but
3: cost of living is also less there. So yeah. so their their income is based on what the cost of living is Agreed. there. It's, I think it's reasonable, right? They I mean, they may not be making it's six an extremely figure salary, high cost then, of living
1: in Newfoundland. It's an island. You have to ship everything in. It's super it's, expensive. The only thing but, that's cheap in Newfoundland uh, is housing. Really everything cheap, else, yeah. you buy an apple, a Honeycrisp apple, it's like four bucks. Honeycrisp, is a good and apple. I mean our our <laughs> I mean this is a bit of a change of
2: topic
0: but our biggest cost of living ultimately is our taxes okay okay pause 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 i want we're going to take a break in a second because we're at like 35 minutes but i want to say that you can't look at newfoundland from a strict dollars and cents as to the reason to zoe's point as to why people are leaving i think again if my parents are guy my parents are guyanese if they came to newfoundland guaranteed they'd be like there's a massive guyanese community in scarborough we're fucking going.
3: Here's the other thing. Alberta has same. jobs, oil, money, yeah. everything. Low cost of living. You yeah. can name it. Tons of immigrants. Is there, though?
0: Tons
3: Compared of the, to Toronto, Vancouver, tons of immigrants. where immigrants yes. mayor, are far more Cal- integrated, far and better. The
1: Calgary and, a brown and, brown guy. and, and, and yeah, Edmonton brown guys. are both brown But
3: can brown guys. you say Calgary's immigration but, population is the exact same or more as Toronto right now? You probably no. can't. So Toronto's don't. had a because,
1: huge head start. And I would say, I would argue 100% Listen, I don't I, know how Toronto had I got a, I worked in economic immigration policy. We did we, p- policy. I reviewed applications for God's sakes. The lesson I learned over that seven year period was immigrants go. Why do you think the, there's a okay. mass Filipino population in Winnipeg, the most depressing and Nigeria. city and Nigeria? They go where the work is. Okay, it's okay. Simple
3: as that. But then are they integrated well? Fine, there's jobs there, but are they integrated well? Totally are they yeah. part integrated? Of community? are they... I need
0: to know more about Are that they being
3: successful in Alberta compared to if they were to yeah. come to, to Toronto? Being able to be... <laughs> well, more not money. success with money, but, but success in, in social life, right? Yeah, are they able, able to... Is there an Indian restaurant they can walk up to and be able to have food? I'm sure there is. but <laughs> yeah. But the point that I'm making is, in Toronto, they, it's it's There's far totally easier to come here yeah. and sure. feel like home yeah. than if you were to go to Alberta and be like, I'm in a strange
1: if you p- place agree. right now. If you're a potential immigrant who has options, who has a PhD, great work experience, and you know you can get a job anywhere, I'm definitely coming to Toronto, don't get me wrong. If you're the average Joe, which most people are because that's the definition of the term average, you're going to go where the work is. There's a small, like even in Labrador, in a, in a <clears> town called Happy Valley Goose Bay, population 6,000 people, like seven, 800 of those are Filipinos because they go where the work is. So, you can
3: go where the work is. Sorry, to yeah. cut you off. You can go where the work is, but that doesn't mean you have satisfaction they marry with, with you. Newf-
2: I think it's a bit of a But it doesn't mean you're satisfied and yeah. you're happy with your life. You can
3: follow the money, but the money but doesn't lead you know to happiness. They're not in, happy.
2: So. I think okay. it's a bit of a privil- privileged uh, thought process of, of saying that people just go where they feel happy because most of the people in the world go- move... From economic reasons. Like, it's 100% the truth. That's why, you know, that's, if you look at the Middle East, for example, most of the Middle East is made, it's like, it's like 70% or 80% of the immigrants in the Middle East. Bangladeshi. Come from, like, come from South okay. Asia. That's and-
0: the, that's the trap. Okay. So that's the trap. I used to fall into this trap all the time. Okay. So I totally see what Zoe is saying. So it's more than just economics. Who's going to, who's going to Dubai and, and UAE and Qatar? It's men doing risky-ass work because they need to send the money back to their families. There's no other opportunity for them. Women are not going to do that. They're not moving on economic reasons alone. And so, counterpoint. Okay, hang on. But the the thing is, is that I agree with both of you in saying that, yes, economic reasons is primarily the reason, but it's not the only reason. I think that's a very important distinction. There is a social integration piece that is so important to raising families, feeling connected in society. That's so, so critical to a family making a decision. A man, Contributing to society. yeah. We can. A man can leave and go, like if I lived in Bangladesh and I was making 20 cents a day, mm-hmm. fuck yes, I'm going on but top then, of the Burj Khalifa. But why is, risking why, why life? is
2: Calgary and Edmonton all of a sudden just booming, like booming way more than you know Toronto is in terms of people moving there?
0: I think you have to look, we have to first of all look at the types of jobs people are going for. So I would say in Calgary, there's less... Um, um, variety and the types of jobs people are looking for i would assume it's more narrow and again it appeals to men i would say in engineering in particular but toronto is and vancouver montreal are societies where families are like i want to raise my kid here there's a community here there's a i I have to disagree a
1: little bit because when i the only reason i say filipinos because they were like nine out of ten applications we did women all women the Filipinos—they're all nurses, they're nurses, all home care yeah. workers, et cetera. So there must not, be a massive demand for nurses. And it home care is, workers, but yeah. that—that's what I'm saying. The women and the men are going to where the where the jobs are. It's not like just men who are going out and doing it.
3: But just giving them jobs isn't enough, isn't the whole That's point it, to yeah. integrate them into society so yeah. they can be contributing member of that society, exactly. right? And they can't do that if they don't feel like they're a part of the society. They're not going to contribute to uh, w- where they're going to vote or wherever the case may be, however they have to contribute. They're not going to do that if they don't feel like they're a part Correct. of something, right? Correct. They're, if anything, going to be like, I'm isolated. I don't care. I what disagree. As reason, long as I the, get The me- only
2: reason they wanted to move to Toronto in the first place is because Toronto is the biggest population center it's always been for a long, 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 long time. Why not move to the Caribbean? The weather's better. But, exactly, you know. Great point.
3: No, but that's here, not, not a great point I, at all. Hundred, no, it's a, it's people <laughs> are moving. If you, you guys are saying <laughs> that people are
2: moving. The there's
0: no immigration policy in the no, Caribbean.
2: you can buy, you can buy, citizenships in the Caribbean. Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, three hundred grand, yeah.
1: You can be a citizen of uh, of the Bahamas. Yeah, for three hundred. grand. The weather's great. The weather is great. It's nice and hot. You know. You can look this up online.
2: You absolutely
3: come for the money and the economy and all that. So here, I'll give you an example, my own personal experience. When we came, we actually immigrated to Quebec City, and we could barely last more than seven months, and that's because it was this, it was a, it was a province right. where people did, nobody wanted to talk to us, and if we didn't speak French, they weren't friendly with us. They wouldn't even answer. They wouldn't even give us directions, let alone anything else. So mm. we did not feel included at all, and it got to a point where. My parents' physical health was now starting to take a toll. My mom, you know, aside from the weather and all that, she she felt alone. She felt depressed. She had just left her family and everything she had known to come to a country that's not accepting her unless she speaks their language or, or province, sorry, unless she speaks the language or acts like them or behaves like them. That took a toll on her health, her mental health and her physical health. It got to a point where we had to say, we need to leave. And mm. we came to Toronto where she had a greater community. She was able to make friends. She has a friends now. She can go out, her mental health. And she was a stay-at-home mom. So you have to understand, A lot of these women, immigrant women, not a lot, but some could be stay-at-home moms, that all they have is a community to go and talk to and interact with. And if they don't have that... That will take a toll on If them.
1: your dad had a job in Quebec City that paid $250,000 a year, you'd, you'd be speaking French eating baguette right now. You wouldn't care about your cultural community. If you had secure but you economics... But I disagree use, with that. I disagree
3: yeah. with that because my dad actually had a, a, a minimum wage-paying job here. And we were far more satisfied being here because wow. I went to school where I saw people of color. Right. I went to a school where if I didn't speak French, my teacher wasn't yelling at me. They were like, okay, no problem. You'll learn it eventually. I had people I can go and talk to in my language before I even learned the English. Mm. So so no, I well, disagree because my dad did have a minimum wage paying job here and we were far more satisfied than we were in Quebec City. And that's, again, because of we didn't feel like a part of the community there. Mm. And the people made us feel that way, right? It, it came down to, it's not like we, we just walked out and we're like, oh, we don't want to be friends. It came from their side wow. and we didn't feel included.
0: Yeah, fair point. Go for it. It's 40 minutes. We are well over. Thank you for the session. This is fun. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Open Minds Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Balkrin. And reminder, you can find me at www.openmindspodcast.com on Instagram at Pod or on TikTok at Podcast. Feel free to leave a comment, like or follow. Send me a message. Let me know what you think of this episode. And I will definitely catch you in the next one.